Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. And then when he got done, he just laid on me. And so I kind of gently pulled him off of me and I ran up them steps. When I ran up the steps, he caught me by the shirt I asked to keep on. And that's what I mean by it. That shirt kind of hindered me too. Cause maybe if I allowed him to snatch that off too, he may couldn't have got a hold of me. So he grabbed me by my shirt and pulled me down some steps. So now we halfway, halfway in the middle of this step, stairway. I'm fighting for my life. This is part two of our two-part episode with Denise Winters. Hi, survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yay, another episode. Another episode we've had in the can for a while. Oh, yeah. No, we met... Denise, a while back through Rita Isabel. She was a past guest on our podcast and she's a survivor. Ironically, they're both from Milwaukee. They both have dealt with two of Milwaukee's most famous serial killers, unfortunately. But before we get into that, it's been quite a week. Oh yeah, no, I house sat, I watched a dog, some cats. I had Marisol for a little bit. You had Marisol so I could film my my uh, pilot <laughs> that I was filming. Yeah. I took some videos for Patreon as well. Put that on there. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, you know, for those of you that follow, Marisol is my little chihuahua. She will be a year old on this Saturday, 11-11. And since Tara had her, she has learned to not bark as much. <laughs> <laughs> People call me the dog whisperer. She has definitely toned down her barking because she's quite sassy with me, isn't she? Oh my gosh, she just has you wrapped around her little paw. Oh yeah, clearly. I mean, she has her own t-shirts and merchandise. Like, Well, when I come over, she's always barking at you. And I'm like, are you going to tell her like, no? Are you going to... Are you going to tell her no? This is why I don't have children because they would be nightmares. They would be like, I would just, <laughs> yeah. I would so be, we know who's the strict parent. Yeah, for 100%. Come on. I'm like, no, don't do that. It's the worst. It's <laughs> Blondie was so good because she wouldn't ever bark, but she, she would never bark at me, but she would bark at like other doggies or like the door or something like that. But, um, Yeah, Marisol can be quite sassy, but her sassiness has been (laughs) curtailed. That's great. Because you told me, you said, rattle the cage if she gets, if she starts getting sassy with you. And I do that. And she like looks at me like she's terrified. She's like, what's he going to do? So, well, and then when you rattle the cage, it's just like you, it's not that. Yeah, it's not that dramatic. Yeah, it's not not like an earthquake. (laughs) (laughs) You just just shake it a little bit and she's like, oh, okay, I better behave. Yeah, she's been great because for a few weeks, even though I would be in the dead of my slumber, I would, she would just, just bark in the middle of the night, like an obnoxious little chihuahua. You just got to use the pennies in a can, you know? The pennies Uh in a can have worked, have worked. So we have a guest that came to us from our previous guest, Rita Isabel, and she's also from Milwaukee. And I and they both have dealt with Milwaukee's two most famous serial killers, right? Yes. So let me tell you a little bit about Denise, if you don't know Collier. Yes. So 
Denise escaped the serial killer known as the Milwaukee Strangler. Like the victims before and after her, she felt unheard and disregarded by law enforcement. Often treated as if she was invisible and her credibility was doubted, she has shared her real-life experiences, including struggles with addiction, to offer encouragement and hope that healing and growth are possible, even after difficult experiences. Yeah, she really gets very candid in her addiction in this episode. She turned her life around. She's really courageous, but she got away and she's going to tell us this story. So, you know, as as I had said before, we had Rita Isabel on before her, her brother was a victim. Her brother Earl Lindsay was a victim of Jeffrey Dahmer. And we discussed that impact on her life. And obviously, Denise got away from Walter Earl Ellis, who was known as the Milwaukee Northside Strangler. And he was an American serial killer. And he was wreaking havoc and terror. He killed, he strangled at least seven women between 1986 and 2007. He is also suspecting of killing at least eight more women over 21 years in Milwaukee. So a bad guy, she got away and she's going to tell us her survivor story. And it's pretty incredible. So following his arrest, Ellis was charged with the murders of seven women, 31 year old Deborah Harris, 19 year old Tanya L. Miller, 25 year old Irene Smith, 28 year old Florence McCormick, 37 year old Sheila Ferrier, 41 year old Joyce Ann Mims, and 28 year old Oethron C. Stokes. We want to pay our respects to them. He was also a suspect in at least eight other murders and strangulations in over a 21 year period. So let's get into our episode with Denise Winters. Yes, let's get into it. You know, we had two counselors. One of them said, if there's anything that y'all want to talk about and we, we, you know, we can do it in a one-on-one that you don't want to talk about in a group. And so I said, me. So we did a, a one-on-one. I did a one-on-one with one of the counselors and she said, oh my God, Denise. I said, when I told her that I know who's out there killing the women, he tried to kill me and I can't sleep. They won't let me sleep because they telling me to tell someone. She said, you got to go to the police. So we went to the police. And when was this? What time was this? Like what year was this? I can't tell you. I have to really think. It's been so long ago. The 80s or the 90s? Well, it, 86 was it time. 86. I think he got me. It was in the 80s. A little bit late 80s. It was in the late 80s. So your addiction was crack cocaine? You said yeah. balls and all that stuff. So- Yes. This is literally at the height of the crack epidemic in America. Ooh, that was the fad. You know, that's how I got introduced to it. Uh, my son's dad, brothers, worked at a Grady Foundry, and these guys told them, this is what these people are doing today. You find people that's got good jobs, and then you get them hooked on it. We had no idea about this stuff. One day they invited a lot of us in a house and uh, a lot of us, and matter of fact, thinking about it, all of us had good jobs, living good. And they had propane tanks. They had the 
uh, glass pipes. They had the screens and they said, do it like this. And all us like dummies, like uh, <laughs> like crash dummies. We picked the pipe up and he they demonstrated. And then you put it here and you do this and you do that. Then you pick, then they gave us all uh, uh, some crack and said, put it on there. Now you take the propane and you light it up. Now, each one of us did it. I don't even think they knew what they was doing to us. So we lit it and it was, uh, you no, know, like couples. And um, the next week, it was free that night. The next week that we piled up over there, I mean, it was like every pay period. I mean, like every Friday. The next Friday, they had pulled out their, their um, clientele paper. They put us on the books. It wasn't free no more. So when we ran out of money, they put us on the books. Oh, wow. And the women disappeared. They put you on the books to prosecute yeah. yourself for the drugs. No, they put us on the books. Um, they would they would cuff us, cuff us to drugs. Okay, because we were still working. We were still working, but if we stay, uh, stay and 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 smoke our checkup, they will put us on the books. So when we go back to work and we get paid next Friday, we owe them. Oh. Got it. Yeah. So they'll put us on the books. Oh, they wouldn't mess with nobody that had no job or they couldn't pay. You had to have an income. That's so interesting that they just like set you up yeah. and then create this addiction. And then it's like what what it does to the brain is insane, too. So it yeah. really transforms your life after that. Oh, it ruined all of our lives. At first, the, the women left first. I don't know. I'm not saying that we're the weaker ones because I, I swear I don't believe that because I do men jobs too. I was a robot operated welder and I did a better job than the men's. But for some reason, the women, we left first. The men had was still meeting up Fridays, but then when we looked around, the women were scattering. We were scattering. And I started, then I scattered until, until I wanted to smoke every day. I had a good job. I, they they tried to put me in. First, I walked off my job. I just literally walked off of it. They said, Denise, you're a good worker. What is wrong? And I ignored, no, I, I ignored them until one day I just picked up the phone and I said, you know what? I I, I got addicted to this stuff that I was introduced to. They said, well, we'll put you in the treatment center. We'll put you in the, at St. Paul. And uh, stayed there a week. They said they could only four or three months. Some people need more than that. I need, it took me literally almost two years to get this stuff out of my, a structured environment, two years to get it right. I walked off within a week and got back to smoking again. But yeah, the insidious nature about drugs and about the crack epidemic in America, that a lot of people don't talk about. First of all, you know, I did a documentary recently about the Pointer Sisters. You know, the Pointer Sisters, right? Mm -hmm. They made millions of dollars. They're music stars. Crack was an underlying epidemic in their careers at, at one point or another. And it, it, you know, a lot of people associate it with socioeconomic well, it's a poor people's drug assistant. No, it affects everyone and drugs affect everyone. And you know, the crack epidemic in the eighties is now what the fentanyl epidemic is in the 2010s. Correct. It's the same thing. And it affects everyone because when you're, when you're hooked on drugs, but you're also in a lifestyle, it's one thing to get, get clean and sober, but when you get clean and sober and you get back into the same environment that you're 
around with no economic opportunity. Everyone else is struggling with drug abuse and drug use and drug addiction. You don't get a fair shake. That's why I say stay away from If you go back to the same environment, how are you supposed to improve your life? And so I commend you for getting clean because that's, thank God for that arrest. Thank God for Heather. Yes. You yes. Giving you the say, yeah. hey, I'll take two steps. You'll take one. I'll take the two. You correct, Collier. That's a helping hand when people offer that. And it's yes. something that, that is very commendable. Yeah. And you're right. If you put a person in the same environment and they don't see nothing else, how do you expect them to just want to stay sober? And they need to be in a good environment. These uh, treatment centers are run down here. You, you're not showing these people a better way to live. You're putting them in these run down places. You're not letting them. You, do you know when I was in the treatment center, I had to do an essay. I wasn't ready to leave after three months. They said, well, if you're not ready to leave, you do an essay. You buy you some time. And it only bought me a month. But thank God for Heather again. She found me an uh, independent living place with a, a seven, uh, seven other women and at Daystar. And where seven other women, you know, an uh, uh, independent living uh, house. And I stayed in an instruction environment basically for two years. Because sometimes th- three, one month, two months, three months, it's not enough. And then that structure environment was clean. It was real decent. It showed me I want to live like that. I want to keep living like this. I want to have things. I want to be a positive, you know, I I don't want to be part of the problem. Yeah. You know, and I want to live a productive life. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and, and it was in me anyway. I, I just, the drug was so strong. Yeah. It, but then when, when they put me in these structure and I stayed in the structure environment, it made me hunger for it. It made me want it. So I end up, I, I did stuff that some people haven't even got to do. Some people that never did drugs, never been a business owner. I owned a transport service. My our first year, we grossed $200,000. Maximal oh. Transport. I got married. I got married. We got a, uh, me and my mom, we went uh, half and half. Uh, I was a, tra- uh, uh, a robot operator, welder. And then I walked to me. I just left that job, put my two weeks notice in, and I end up being a business owner. You know, I I'm a homeowner, you know, all these things, you know. So I got to, you know, it made me hunger to want these things. I love that. You were an entrepreneur anyways, because, you know, working the streets, you are entrepreneurial in a lot of yeah. ways. You are because you're surviving and you are surviving on your own skills. Yeah. And now you just learned, get clean and use your, your brain instead of your body. Put that aside in the, I mean, put that behind me, but use it to my advantage. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. And that's what I did. Yeah. And I've had a lot of friends that have done that, to be honest. It's a hustle and it's a vibe. Oh, yeah. You work hard. Yeah, you do. And it's. You think hard, too. And it's like, how do I get the best out of this? And, you know, people see it differently sometimes, but I'm like, no, if you're in that world, it's a fucking hustle. 
Oh, it's a hustle. Bleed it. You got to think hard and got to stay on your feet because yeah. you get caught up just like I uh, uh, ran into a serial killer. And then, like I said, I told the police, they basically, when I, we went to the police station, he they was like, come on. Up. They called, he called his other co-workers. Listen to this, guys. So they came over there and it was like basically making fun of me is what they done. And then it was like, well, he killed a prostitute. You don't have a prostitute record. And I told him, well, I almost did. One day, one time I almost caught a prostitution case because they had a sting going on. But I was tired of getting high. I had got high for two days and my cousins and my aunties and them was tired of, you know, spinning on me. So I ended up coming out of the high. And now I go, all I want to do, I'm tired and I'm mad and I want to go home. So it was this guy, He would, I was walking down North Avenue and I decided to use him just to get home. But he had other, he wanted me to proposition him. And it, it was a sting. When I did proposition him, all the bright lights came on me. And I said, oh my God, I just got out of sting. <laughs> I just got out of sting. So, and I told him about that. I almost got caught, but they was like, uh, uh, if you're a prostitute, then why you don't have a prostitute record and all this and, you know, got deep in it, this, that, and other. And the thing about it, they asked me, where did he take me? But they never asked me, where did he have you at? That hurt me so bad. I showed them the houses he tried to take me in. They found bodies in them. Wow. Yes. So they have found the bodies in the abandoned houses? Yes. One on the second floor. They found one in the basement, uh, one between the garage and back of the house, one in the trash can. Okay. He took me to those same houses. But they never said where he had you at. They never tried to work with me. They didn't try to say and try to jog my memory. You know, work with Denise, we're going to work with you. We're going to try to catch this guy. We, they like, they just threw me off. And then they gave me, I pointed him out. I said he had an afro, but he had a perm all this time. But he had an afro when he met me. And he had a cream shirt on and never forget it, long slurp. Why his mug shot was the same description. So he had went to jail and we got out of jail. That he, he had the same stuff he went to jail on when he met me. Anyway, um, um, uh, uh, three guys got arrested. I never heard of nobody getting arrested for the murders or nothing. And all of a sudden, you know, I get married and I, I'm not going to tell my husband about the life I live. I'm trying to, you know, move on with my life yeah. and stuff. So yeah. here come knocking on the door one day. Here comes some lawyers from Chicago. Is Denise Winters here? I I did like this, and they said, and, and they said for the for the look, I mean the lookers of it, it's you, because I was Denise Ball, and I know everything I did as Denise Winters. I didn't want to be so cheap, <laughs> but I got my name back too. So anyway, they said it's you. So can you open the door? Can we talk to you? They told me that it was some guys that got uh, arrested for these murders, and they was in the Innocent Project program. And um, they needed my help. And I said, well, how did you find me? He said, they got your record sealed in Madison. So I said, still, how did you find me still? <clears throat> this arrogant black guy, a private detective told me um, and me and my daughter, because I'm just that damn good. 
Okay. Okay. So they said, we need your help. We're finna file a civil lawsuit because these guys are in uh, this innocent project program. They was falsely accused. They was railroaded. I didn't hear about anything or none of this. And they asked me to do a civil lawsuit. Were all of the people that they had arrested that were in this innocence project, were they African-American? Yes. And um, he killed one Caucasian girl. She was 16, Jessica Payne. Once they killed, and it's, I'm just going to be coming to tell the truth. They didn't care. I think they thought they was clean, he was cleaning up the streets of us. But when they killed Jessica, that's when they started arresting people for those murders. That's not surprising. I mean, I'm just being honest. Unfortunately, they're looking at it as he killed a prostitute, they crack kids, they're black. Who cares? Thing is happening now in my home state of, of Ohio, in Columbus, Ohio. Some people are saying, oh, they're just addicts, they're ODing on fentanyl, but they're starting to find out that no, these women are being sexually trafficked and they're being killed. Yeah. But they're human, you know what? Oh, yeah, I, I was addict, but I'm human. It was a human piece. Of, it was a human part of me that wanted to stop. I wanted to stop. I just needed some help. I'm so proud of you for that. I'm not a monster. I'm not. I'm just not an addict. I'm just. Not, I didn't want to do none of them things. I got caught up and was a follower. But I, the human side of me wanted to stop. I wanted to live a productive life. Yeah. And you did. Yeah. Yeah. And Denise, you're a beautiful, like a badass, smart woman. And like, I tell you, like you took your life and you turned it around and you, you just like hustled and made it like such a great life. And so it's just like what you've done. Like, I, I'm just so proud of you. And I'm like, not going to lie, a little jealous because you hustle and you made money. And that's the, that's a really hard thing for me to even do, you know? I just wish that his, my um, son's father <laughs> ne never introduced us to that stuff. But uh, anyway, I, um, Shantae Oates, I won him 6.5 million. They gave me $50. They gave me $50 and uh, William Avery got 2.2 million. Shantae Oates, 6.6. .6. I mean, six point five million, and uh, Kenneth got two point two million. Plus, they got, which is not much, was the twenty thousand, you know, innocent fee. And uh, I went to uh, court, so they had this the civil lawsuit that they did, and uh, with my name on it, and I was a witness. I don't know if there's anybody else survived that was, you know, I was the only one in the courtroom. Yeah. And the, uh, the Wisconsin lawyers drilled me. Then they had a nerve to say, did you go back and warn those girls? Did y'all protect me? I didn't go back in that area. I told Deborah Harris, like I told him, I told one person. But I wasn't going back in that area and say, hey, girls, somebody else so he can say, there she go. Mm -hmm. You didn't, y'all didn't back me. You didn't uh, try to work with me. And that private detective when he came, he said, Denise, he said, take me where he had you at. I started crying. He said, why are you crying? I said, because nobody asked me that. So
So we go to the house and their son stay there now. He was watering the grass. And so the private detective said, was there an old lady and old man staying here? And he said, yeah, you must be talking about my parents. They're in a nurse home. He said, did they know a guy named Walter Alice? And he, they, he said, yes, he did errands for them. And then he said, we got it. We got it. And I don't know what that means. He got on the phone to Chicago and said, we got it. I guess they said, we got her. She's the one. She's the one. I don't know. And they said, I know I end up going to court. They said because of the statute of limitations of eight years, I couldn't get anything. So, and but they said, they gave me a lot of maybes. But you know what? They was full of crap too. Because they said, well, maybe they'll start resuming these bodies because he killed over 27, 28 women. Maybe that the kids would get, you know, something from the time you told, went in there and told that there was a serial killer and they let them out to, uh, to keep and just keep on murdering. No, maybe this, maybe that. And also when I pointed him out, they arrested him. They didn't even give me my day in court. Know why? He outsmarted the police. He paid himself. He gave his cellmate money for his DNA. And then, but it was too late. They let him go. And then the cellmate with all them bodies got on that, 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 um, when all that, when, when, uh, well, um, they say he's not the one and let him go. And then um, it, it, I think he switched, uh, switched uh, DNA or something. But when all them bodies start getting on there, you're like, oh, no, he paid me. He paid me. But he long gone. He busy killing again. And they let him back out on me. And my counsel's like, why did you let him back out on Denise? Why you didn't get Denise her day in court? We cannot disclose that. Later on in life, we find out why. He outsmarted the police. He had his cellmate switch DNA. I mean, gave, give his DNA up for his. When I said yeah. he was the one, they still didn't give me my day in court. So, but they want me to keep quiet. So I called. Once they arrested him for good for these murders, I called down there. I'm pissed now. Now I'm pissed because I've been fighting and fighting. No one's listening. I called down there. I said, you son of a bitches. I told y'all he was killing all of them. With I get Calm down. They even knew who I was. Calm down, Denise. Come. We finna send a squad car to you. What I wasn't thinking, why would you send a squad car everything over with? So, where are you, Denise? Oh, I'll give my address to my auntie. I said, what address is this? Such and such, such, a squad car on their way. I'm still not thinking. I'm not thinking this is shit is over with. Why would they send a squad car? Okay, an hour later, here come a squad car. So, I told my aunties, this must be the squad car. Y'all take his license plates. I get in the car. He say, this give me the same. I mean, give me the description you gave him, uh, of the guy when you first met him. I gave him this description. He pulls out the mug shot with the same outfit when he met me, same description, period, point blank. I started crying. Okay, but what did you get out of that? Then he said, Take me to the houses again. So when I take him to one of the houses, he goes in the alley. He parks in there. Why would you go in the alley with me? He goes in the alley and he keeps me there for 20 minutes. Not saying nothing, not doing nothing. He was doing like this. Fixing his glasses. I said, scaring the hell out of me. Now I'm on the side of him like, 
He got me in this alley, scaring the hell out of me. I didn't say shit no more. I was I was done. Yeah. I was done. You're not gonna send no more cars, cars for me. I'm done. Next I know I got these lawyers lovey and lovey knocking at my door, wanting me to do this civil lawsuit. My records are sealed. So they, they got my record. I said, how did you get this? So I read the first paragraph and I just fell to the floor. I started crying. I'm thinking I'm able to get this. This is mine and this is mine. This is what I said in, uh, years ago. He takes it and says, no, this is ours. You have to get a lawyer if you want. Why do I have to get a lawyer about what I say? And I couldn't even read it, so I don't even know what's all in there. But when I said the description of the serial killer, I started crying because I thought they shredded my files. I didn't even know they had it sealed. They said they got my record sealed in Madison, and they had it in their hand. And I was reading it, and I started crying. I couldn't even read no more. It was just so devastating. I couldn't read anymore. And I said, can I have that? And the lawyer said, no, this is ours. You have to get a lawyer to get your own. Okay. And then they were so caring two times a week until I went to court and helped them win that lawsuit. That was it. They don't want to have nothing to do with me no more. They treat me just like the police did. They won't return my phone calls. Nothing. Oh, wow. So where is the case at today? What like what happened to him? Nothing. Well, he died. Oh, um, okay. no, yeah, he died. Okay. They did a prisoner exchange. Okay. They did a prisoner exchange. They sent him to South Dakota and brought another prisoner here because they didn't want to have nothing to do with him. They wanted everything quiet down. So they did a prison exchange and he supposedly died from his diabetes, natural causes. Oh, okay. Rotting in jail though, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was in prison. Okay. He got off easy. He died. He got off easy. I don't know what happened. Don't nobody really know what happened over there and who cares? He was a monster and yeah. who's going to resume a body to find out? Yeah. yeah. So if if it was foul play, who's going to question it? Yeah. yeah. Don't nobody care? Wow, Denise, this is quite a story. And I'm so sorry for what you've gone through. This is, you know, Tara and I always say this is a squad that no one wants to be a part of but we are all unfortunately a part of the survivor squad correct yes and where can we find your youtube channel where can we find you on social media everything and this new um project that you are working with well sip and speak to tea is my youtube channel and then i got this book it will be by december 30th, it would be in the Amazon in all the bookstores, Barnes and Noble. Awesome. Life Rich. I had to redirect this book. Spa had it at first, but Life Rich got it now. And so they're going to be putting it in um, the Barnes and Noble Amazon on the 30th of December. This is the untold story. Yeah, the untold story of the one who got it. It's out now because this podcast was recorded a little while back, but it is out now. So be sure to check it out on Amazon. And we will put links to all this in the show notes for you guys. De Denise, thank you so much for your time. Thank you guys. Someone wants to hear, you know, didn't nobody want to hear me. Everybody shut me down. I even went to an organization, a black organization, and they didn't want to hear it. I'm just so appreciative of hearing your story. And I'm just 
so moved by it. So thank you for sharing it today. You're welcome. I'm Denise Winters, and I'm a survivor of the Milwaukee Northside Strangler. And you're listening to Survivor Squad. On that note, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad podcast. We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.